Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics, good classics, and all things in between. I'm Derek. Um, today we are on episode... Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek, and today we are on part three of The Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier. Um, I just want to take time out to remind y'all before we go any further that um, if you have thoughts, you are always welcome to leave a voicemail at 916-633-1537. You can also send an email to wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. Um, the reason why I want to make sure that I, I tell y'all that is because we are a book club. Like, yeah, I'm the one reading the books, but y'all are also participating in this club. Um, and so I do want to get your thoughts on what you're feeling as we're going through this book. Uh, today, we have a voicemail um, that I'm going to go ahead and play. Um, and then we are going to um, go into chapter four of um, the coldest winter ever. Um, in chapter three, uh, Winter sneaks out to Brooklyn. Um, she doesn't really sneak out. Well, I guess she does because she has Sterling come and pick her up. And uh, like, if Sterling doesn't go to jail, like seriously, somebody, somebody drop a dime. Like, hey, banana face, like you need to drop a dime on this nigga. You, Fat face Rico, like you did such a good job in Nebraska, uh, dropping dimes on everybody else. You need to drop a dime on Sterling because he's got a 16-year-old filleting him in the car. Um, and even though she doesn't see anything wrong with it, there's obviously something wrong with it. And you're a predator. And I can't abide by that. Uh, but he gets her out to Brooklyn where she goes to Orleans and gets her hair done. Her mom is upset at first because she can't go until uh, winter promises to be home in time to watch the kids on Saturday. And then her mom is happy. Um, she gets her hair done at Orleans and gets caught up on all the gossip. And then she goes to the club with her girls. And while she's at the club, she sees Midnight. So she uh, tries to flirt with him. And he pretty much called her a little girl because that's what the fuck she is. Uh, and then ignores her. So she starts dancing with another dude trying to make him jealous, even though it all the signs are there that he does not give a fuck about you at all. You're a little ass girl. You're a little ass girl. Like, 
if I'm 18, I am not looking at 16 year olds. If I am 18, I am looking for somebody who is probably gonna pull my eye and, and, and even more than that, if I've been around you for a while and I we don't know how long Midnight's been around Winter and how long he's been working for Santiago, but he's been around long enough to know that she's vapid. Midnight seems like he's got his mind on other things. Like he's got his mind on other goals and, and other plans. And they don't involve somebody who's only concerned about what the leather looks like on the inside of your car or the jewelry or whatever it may be. So he ignores her and she danced to try and make him jealous. And then he uh, starts walking in her direction, which makes her think that her scheme actually worked but it turned out he was just walking to his homeboy that was right behind her that was funny um and they leave and she's still in the club looking embarrassed but she doesn't want to act like it so she leaves with her girls uh while she's leaving midnight pulls up uh in his black acura um with leather interior white leather interior and the wood grain um fifty thousand dollar car she knows that just by looking at it because why not? You know, it's what's important to her. Um, so she gets in the car and she thinks that they're about to go on a date or something. And she finds out that he's driving her home because her dad paid him 150 bucks and business is business. So he drove her home. Uh, she goes upstairs and starts to roll up a blunt. Her mom comes in and they talk about how they need to get free of this house so they can go out and have some fun. Um, her mom says she's probably going to get a card the following week because she's going to put it on her dad. And I just want to say that we don't know how old Santiago is. And I know we talk about this, but there's a fact of the matter that if Santiago was 18, as we think, and he got his girlfriend pregnant when she was, if she had her baby when she was 14, I mean, she likely got pregnant when she was 13, which means he was probably 17 or maybe 18 that does shape the way that Winter would look at her relationship with every man in her life, with every relationship outside of her father. It's not looked at as a bad thing that these guys are so much older than her because her father is so much older than her mom. And so she doesn't see any issue in her doing these things with Sterling or her wanting to do these things with Midnight. And I'm grateful that Midnight has the maturity to be able to see that she is not what he needs in his life and to push her away. I wish that Sterling had that same strength, but as we can see, Sterling is stupid. Um, so she smokes some lie. Uh, on the rooftop of her house and then she goes in her room and she has a dream where she thinks the midnight is proposing to her like a 18 year old is going to propose to a 16 year old I don't know but like I said her dad her dad is her archetype and her mom is her uh, so right when they're about to get to the love making scene in her dream because winter or um Midnight has already came in to talk to Santiago and got his blessing to marry Winter and all that kind of stuff. Um, her friend Natalie calls her to find out what happened after Midnight picked her up. And so uh, Winter lies, like grandly lies, uh, talking about that they went out to breakfast and had sex in his car and she got her smell all up in his seats and all that kind of stuff, like big lie. And Natalie believes it because they're kids. And that's where we are. But before we start uh, the fourth chapter, 
we do have a voicemail that I'm going to go ahead and play uh, from Nikki. So here we go. Hey, Ratchet Book Club. It's Nicole. Um, I just got done listening to Chapter 3. Um, found it interesting and putting it in perspective of a young kid, because that's what uh, winter is. I'm not surprised that she's doing that with, uh, like, with Midnight, like, chasing someone that doesn't want her, because I think not all women, but we are, like, it's that assumption as women that, you know, that works, or, like, sometimes, some women are taught that, like, I know, I, I know I wasn't, my mom was like, don't be chasing somebody who don't want you, you look stupid, that's what my mom always taught me, so it's kind of stuck with me into adulthood, but I seem like, oh, a guy doesn't like you, so I'm going to continue chasing him, and that negative behavior, which is actually, like, really not what you want in a relationship, like, why would you want someone who just disses you and kind of treats you like that, but, like, we see it all the time that, like, that's normalized behavior, but it's like, no, that's not healthy, like, no one, like, if someone likes you, they should treat you better, like, hell, I'm 35, I got friends who's 35, I'm like, I don't think that's healthy for your husband or your boyfriend to talk to you like that. Oh, that's just how men are. Like, mm, no, not really. You don't have to be talked to like that. But uh, that's his love language. Okay, that's that's not a love language. But so I'm not surprised that she continues to chase midnight and how she's she's very very extreme materialistic like her mother. Even the conversation with her mom, it's like, well, you the baddest bitch on the block. You fine looking and blah, blah, blah. And I noticed they never bring up personality. Like, someone's just supposed to put up with you because you're cute. But um, you, she doesn't have a nice personality. Like, she doesn't have a nice attitude. She looks down on people. And, like, when she's seen the girl that Midnight was dating, she started looking at all the materialistic things. Like, oh, her her diamonds are in that cute. She shops at, you know, TJ Maxx. You know? <laughs> she a basic bitch, but, you know, all my stuff is just fine-tuned. And it's like, well, who says he's into that? Like, he, who, he, most dudes don't care where you shop. That's a female thing most of the time. But a dude don't care if your stuff came from TJ Maxx or uh, Mervyn's Merv ain't a thing no more. TJ Maxx, <laughs> Kohl's. Target, Michael Kors, Givenchy, men don't care. That's a woman thing, typically. So I, I thought that was very interesting. And then her lying, I was laughing because it was like, yep, that's something a 16-year-old would lie. That's a lie that, you know, you say like, yep. Thanks for the voicemail. And, and, and for the record, I don't listen to them before I play them on the show. Kind of like the books. I want to hear them fresh the same time that y'all hear them. So then the reaction is pure and it, it's i was telling somebody else today how clear it is to me that this book was not supposed to be for us i was i'm telling everybody who can hear it like it she has all the signs of just being the antithesis of what midnight is looking for in a person not even in a in a mate just in a friend, like, you know, people in your life who, when you see them, you're just like, Ugh. here they come again. 
because y'all don't vibe and 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 you have to be around them for some certain reason for whatever it may be but you don't have to like them and so if they were dumb enough to come into your little area you're like quick to tell them get the fuck away from me and i figured that's where midnight is with winter she's childish he's playing he's in the game like he she's making up in her mind what his aspirations is she's making it are what his aspirations are she's making up in her mind what he thinks is important she's making up in her mind all of these things but she's never i bet you she's never had a real conversation with this dude she sees him on the basketball court and she sees that he wears crisp white clothing and that his skin looks so dark so she's color she's 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 using the uh color spectrum um in order to decide why he looks so good um she's using his muscle tone or whatever it may be these are all things that are not real like yeah i love black women as much as the next person i i love black women from here to the moon but whether my wife was double chocolate or she was yellow, high yellow. I, I, I love who I love. And you are gauging what he, how you feel about him. Your whole thing is devoid of how he speaks, what his mind is like. Your whole thing is dick print, clothing, money clip, muscles, car. Adventures of a Teenage Queen. That's what I'm gonna start calling this book. Adventures of a Teenage Queen. So here's chapter four of The Coldest Winter Ever, AKA, y'all heard what I called it. I said what I said. The next weekend came so swiftly. It was 12 noon when I woke up. It was my mother's voice. She was going off about how she was not spending one more day caught up in the house. Where was her fucking car, she wanted to know. Today is the day. Today is the day my fucking Benz is supposed to be parked outside of my bedroom window with a big red ribbon on it. Where is it? She demanded. The tone of my mother's voice was rare. I could hardly say I could ever remember it being this rough. All I could think is here go two Concorde jets about to have a head-on collision. My three little sisters came running into my room, stuffing their little bodies under the cover with me. I expected to hear Santiago yell back, but he didn't. Instead, my mother just continued blowing her cool and doing something she told me not to do. She was making it clear who the boss was. A real woman was not supposed to do that. A bad bitch controlled without the man ever knowing that he was being dominated. A bad bitch was so slick that she made him think he was calling the shots while she planted the seeds and was the owner of all his thoughts. Not today. My mom told Santiago she didn't want to hear no shit. He was going out with her today, her birthday, to buy that car. She was leaving with him, she instructed. After his business was transacted, Santiago was to buy that car that she had been holding her breath for. She wasn't interested in no other presents, no matter what they were. Through the walls, I could hear the bass in Santiago's voice, but not his exact words. The next loud sound I heard was the door slamming. From the silence, 
I knew that both of them were gone. As my mother has said last week, she always had her way. Saturday evening, the stars fell down, six minutes after six, six hours after their argument. I remember it clearly. That was the time the phone rang. Winter, get the kids ready. I'm coming to pick you up. I didn't recognize the slow, steady voice. What? Who is this? This is midnight. Listen, your father asked me to pick all of you up and bring you out here. Oh, you're becoming a regular little taxi driver, huh? This is serious, he said. I'll be there in two hours. Click. Damn, should I beat Santiago? This has never happened before. Then I thought to myself, midnight can be trusted. I got the three little girls ready, and two hours later, we waited anxiously at the door. My eight-year-old sister wanted to fight me for the front seat of Midnight's Acura. I told her to take her little ass in the back with the twins. I wondered what could make her think she could ride in the front seat with my man. Hell, she probably already had a crush on him. Little girls started getting horny at a younger age every year. Where are we going? I asked. My heart was filled with all kinds of feelings. We have to rush. Just get in. I'll tell you when we get there. It's not for little girls to know. Midnight tried to fill the empty space with the radio. Other than the music, we rode in complete silence while one of my sisters tried to peel the last bits of sticky paper off her now or later candies in the back. Oh, God, I thought to myself. I hope she doesn't suck the candy and leave it stuck to the side of the seat like she normally does. I imagined Midnight pulling over and throwing us all out on the expressway for messing up his leather interior. I laughed to myself. Just then the aggravating voice of Sister Soldier leaped out the radio and started choking me. The ancient African elders believed that what you sow, you reap. If you do something positive, something positive will come back to you. If you consciously do negative things, the negativity will rule your life. I sucked my teeth and thought, why don't that bitch just move to Africa? She always saw some African mumbo jumbo. Somebody should stick a bone in her nose and a plate in her lip. Maybe then she'd feel at home and shut the fuck up. I made myself laugh thinking, then damn Africans must have been some fucked up niggas. If they believe doing something positive caused positive things to happen, then why are they asses all fucked up, bald-headed, naked, starving, stinking in the whole nine? They must have been doing some foul shit. Hell, that bitch don't know. She just be talking to talk. When we got to downtown Brooklyn, I asked Midnight where he was headed. He was turning right. Our old neighborhood was to the left. I said I would tell you, he said. Minutes later, Midnight pulled over, put on his emergency blinkers, and asked me to get out. Puzzled, I got out. He came around to my side. He didn't let the girls get out. I said, I know we ain't leaving them in the car. Come here, I gotta tell you something. He put his arm around me and looked me dead in the eyes. Your mother's in the hospital. She's been shot. My whole mind went blank. It was like someone took an eraser, the type they cleaned the blackboard with in school and just wiped everything out. One second later, my mouth was screaming. My mind was blank and my body was cold. 
Midnight's arms were around me, hugging me, embracing me, and trying to hide my face and tears from the girls. They had their faces glued to the window, saying something like, ooh, winter kiss and midnight. We gonna tell mommy. My body was stiff. My mind wouldn't think. I felt out of control. What do I do? What do I do now? Is she okay? Is she gonna... Is she gonna? Midnight held me tighter, firmer, almost as if to demand with his body that I get it together. She was shot in the face. I don't know how she is. Santiago's upstairs with her now. I'll watch your sisters. You go upstairs and check on the situation with her now. Vega will take you up on the elevator, he said, nodding in the direction of one of daddy's men stationed in the main hospital lobby. You come with me, I begged him. No, this is my position. We don't want the little ones to know nothing yet. Upstairs, Santiago looked like a madman. His face was dark with sadness. When he looked at me, I could swear I saw tears, something I could honestly say I'd never seen in his eyes before. He hugged me hard, strong and warm. As he laid his head on top of my head, his voice whispered, I'm sorry, I fucked up, I fucked up, I fucked up. What happened, daddy? Is she okay? She's gonna be all right. They're operating on her now, he said flatly. I should have just gotten her to car, he muttered. I shouldn't have hesitated. What happened, I repeated. I never should have let her ride with me today. I know better than that. What a stupid mistake. What a stupid fucking mistake. Them motherfuckers are gonna feel it. Violation. He grabbed my face with both hands. They'll take care of your mother, he said, using his eyes to point out his men stationed in the waiting room. You take the children to stay with midnight. Where are you going, daddy? Can I see Ma? My words hit his back. He walked out the door. The doctors, nurses, attendants, hell, it took the entire hospital, it seemed, to hold me back. I wanted to see my mother. They kept telling me, she's on the operating table. She'll be in intensive care later. Contamination, infections, blah, blah, blah. Pizzazz and Driguez, two more daddy's workers, were standing near the operating room doors. They were trying to look casual, but it's hard for two big black niggas from the streets to look casual in the hospital. It ain't like somebody was gonna mistake them for doctors or nothing. My mind started to clear up as I sat and sat and sat. It dawned on me to call Natalie. If something went down around our way, she would definitely know a little about it. Natalie's voice was apologetic. She said sorry so many times you would think she pulled the trigger. I didn't have to say nothing. Natalie just rambled on. I know it was them niggas from the C building on the other side. They've been trying to blow up around our way for some time now. On the low, they've been shaking niggas down, looting and terrorizing everybody. They got their little operation going on, but damn, to blast Santiago's woman in the face? That's some raw, unnecessary shit. The way I figure it, there's enough crackheads around here for everybody to get money. But they'll learn. They're young boys anyway. They'll catch it. Santiago will set them straight. 
It's going to be a blood storm in Brooklyn tonight. She acted excited like she was watching a heavyweight fighter Madison Square Garden or something. Where are you at? Natalie questioned. The hospital, I mumbled back. Where are the kids? With the housekeeper? Nah, they downstairs with midnight. Midnight? What's he doing there? She intruded, then continued on. Oh, it's like that now, huh? Oh, that's your man now and shit. I hung up. Driguez motioned for me to come towards him. Discreetly, he leaned towards me and said, I'm taking you downstairs now. You won't be able to see your mother until tomorrow. Midnight is waiting downstairs in the front and you'll leave with him. What exactly happened? I asked. I got no response. Drop the kids off at Aunt Lori's house, I told Midnight from the pasture seat. I want to go check on some stuff. He looked at me with complete defiance, told me he already had the plans from Santiago and I should just sit back and do as I'm told. Just let me make one stop then, I said, figuring I need to be on my Brooklyn block where the shit was jumping off at. I need to be with my girls ready to do whatever we had to do. That's the problem with all you women. Midnight said dryly, like he was 40 years old instead of 22. Nobody can tell y'all shit. You never want to listen. You never want to follow instructions. And then when the shit goes down, all the fuck you can do is cry. We crossed the state line into New Jersey. Midnight pulled into the Marriott Hotel parking lot. As many times as I thought about me and Midnight's hot bodies all twisted up on some crisp, clean, cold, new white hotel sheets, I never imagined that we would be here under these circumstances. We're gonna stay here tonight, he said. A big smile spread across my lips. No, this is serious, he spit, as though my delight was somehow illegal. I'll check in for all of us. Most likely nobody will ask, but if they do, we're one family renting a suite, last name Cooper. Cooper, is that your last name? I asked. See, he said, you don't even know my name. Remember that. <laughs> I thought to myself, is that supposed to be some kind of fucking answer or something? The suite was immaculate, top of the line. I couldn't have asked for more if I was on a honeymoon. There was one king-size bed in the living room with a couch and a pull-out bed inside. Each room had its own television. The bathroom was huge marbled down and looked brand new. I stepped in there, took a deep breath and figured maybe after the kids went to sleep, we could room service some Chris Dow and sip it while we took a bubble bath together in the jacuzzi. I needed something to relieve all my pressure and why not get what the man always wanted? You four can take this bed, Midnight said, pointing to the bedroom. I'll sleep in the living room. We'll be here for the next three days, so get comfortable and chill. You three, <laughs> don't make a mess, he said with a certain joking tenderness that must be reserved only for children. Three days? I hollered with my hand on my hips. Can I talk to you a minute, please? I pointed towards the living room. He rejected my order, turned the television to the Disney Channel for my sleepy sisters, and then came into the living room at his own pace. 
what's this shit about three days? I have one dress with me, the one I'm wearing. The three little bears have no clothes and have already spilled shit all over themselves. My mother's in the hospital. I want to see her. I need to know what's going on, and I'm not down with this Mission Impossible shit. And as for that shit you were talking about in the car about women crying when shit breaks down, that's bullshit. I'm a fighter. I've held heat before, and I know how to use it. I can cut a bitch from my razor so fast and clean that she won't even know what happened until she bled to death. The problem with you, Midnight, is that you think you know every goddamn thing. What you're not understanding is that I can help. I can be your right-hand man. Just let me know what's up. What's going on? Nothing moved except for Midnight's jawbone. Something Mama said was a definite sign of a man's anger. He reached in his back pocket and pulled out a stack of bills. First thing in the morning, I'll take you out to get some clothes. Don't worry. I realize you're a high-maintenance bitch. Gotta keep you up in the style you're accustomed to. How many fighters do you know find themselves in the middle of a goddamn war and all the fuck they think about is fashion the clothes on their back? Hell no. You won't ever be my right-hand man. I was impressed with the big stack of bills and excited about going shopping. I wondered if this was his money or if Santiago had given it to him and he knew all along he had orders to take me shopping. Maybe it was a little bit of both. Maybe he was using his own money, but knew Santiago would pay him back. Okay, one last question I pushed, knowing I was aggravating him yet enjoying the attention. What clothes are we going to wear to go out shopping in the morning when all our stuff is dirty? Never mind. I know. The laundry service. As I pushed eight to call down to the laundry room, he put his finger on the phone, disconnecting my call. With a muscular hand on my shoulder, he said sarcastically, think like you come from the projects. Take your clothes off and wash them in the sink. Hang them by the heater to dry. You do know how to wash clothes, don't you? The laundry service is closed now. It's almost midnight. After stripping the three bears and tossing their clothes into the sink, I put them under the sheets and blankets. I talked to them about the things we were going to do tomorrow and assured them that everything was okay. They knocked out to sleep one by one like clockwork. I slipped off my dress and stood checking myself out in the bathroom mirror. Thank God I listened to Mama's advice about always having on nice, clean, sexy underwear. If I was a tackhead, I could have got caught out here with some beat-up drawers on my ass with a shit stain and a big old hole in them. Just a thought cracked me up. I peeled off my panties, undid my bra, and put them in the sink. I stepped in the shower and let the warm water turn hotter, steaming my whole body from the tension of my crazy day. My mind was downloading slowly. What about Mama? What would her face look like now? Would she have to get plastic surgery? Would her face be temporarily disfigured? What would Santiago think about her face? Of course he will make sure she got the best medical treatment and everything. How long would she stay in the hospital? Oh my God, would I become a professional babysitter getting stuck with my little sisters? Santiago would definitely have to hire the housekeeper full-time instead of part-time to help watch the kids. What about Midnight? What was his beef with the world? Or was it that he only liked pissing on my world? For once, Mama was wrong. She told me that Midnight wanted me. She told me that only his fear of Santiago stood in the way. But that's not what I saw in his eyes, fear. 
He never seemed fearful of anything or anyone. He just straight seems disinterested in me. Now he and I were forced together for three days like being stuck on a deserted island. If I was the last one on earth, would midnight turn me down? What the hell could he be thinking? Stepping out of the shower, I grabbed two towels, wrapped one around my wet hair and the other around my body. I swerved into the living room where Midnight had positioned himself in front of the TV. His dress shirt was open. Underneath, he was wearing one of those crisp white undershirts. I could see his gun on his waist, half tucked in his pants. My eyes slid down his legs. I could see another gun he held near his ankle. The blackness, the gun, his muscle structure, that white shirt, those white teeth, and his unfiltered anger was so seductive, I had to try again to get with him. Do you want me to wash your clothes? I'm getting good at it now. No, that's okay, he said, without even taking so much as a look at me. I stepped over and into the chair opposite him. I'm tired, I said, stretching my arms slowly above my head. Go to bed then, he answered cruelly, as if he didn't want to be bothered. I picked up my legs and placed them on the arm of my chair. I was now going to become the freshly showered, hair-wrapped, body-wrapped-in-a-towel ivory girl. I started playing games with my legs, repositioning them, opening them slowly, closing them slowly. I was making it possible for him to see the hairs on my pussy if he only wanted to. When I got excited enough, my juices would start to flow, releasing the scent of a willing pussy, definitely something he wouldn't be able to fight. Are you a homosexual, Midnight? Because if you are, that's cool. To each his own and all that good shit. He laughed a rare laugh and without turning around, he said, <laughs> go to bed, little girl. Little girl? Do these look like little girl titties to you? I stood up and released the towel, dropping it to the floor. I wanted him to see my 34D so we could take back his insult. I wanted him to see my whole body. He stayed stiff like a mummy, unaffected by my nakedness. And I mean, I was butt naked, standing in the middle of a hotel suite, which was designed for fucking. Midnight leaned in, grabbed the remote and started surfing channels. I'll see you in the morning, he said finally, like a father would. I sucked my teeth, picked up my towel, and returned to the bathroom. I washed, rinsed, and twisted the clothes as if they were the source of my anger, laying each piece out to dry separately, some by the heater, some on the shower curtain. I tiptoed into the bedroom, not wanting to wake my sisters. I grabbed one of the pillows from the bed and set my bare ass in a comfortable chair next to the bedroom window where I slept. In the morning, I used the hotel blow dryer, conveniently situated on the bathroom wall, to finish drying the damp clothes. I slid into my dress, hating the idea of repeating yesterday's fashion. Without a proper cleaning, the clothes were stiff and rough like cardboard. Brushing my hair into a French bun, I heard midnight talking. I pushed open the door connecting to the living room. He abruptly ended a conversation he had been having on his cell phone. What's up? I asked. Your mother's out of surgery. 
She's still in intensive care, but she's gonna be all right. Montenegro and Ferrara are at the hospital now looking after her. <sighs> yeah, right, I mumbled. The first people I'm sure she'll want to see when she opens her eyes has to be the bodyguards. I rolled my eyes. Come on, drive me over to the hospital. I want to see my mother. Nah, Midnight responded coolly. Your father said you should relax. We'll get the kids ready and I'll go shopping. They should like that. They can run around a little. Santiago called? You knew I wanted to talk to him. Why didn't you call me to the phone? I screamed. Take it easy, Winter. I don't know what happened, but then I just lost control. Is it that you don't hear me? Am I speaking French, motherfucker? I want to see my mother, and I want to talk to my father. I turned quick and grabbed the hotel phone so I could beat Santiago. Midnight grabbed my wrist, causing me to drop the phone. I spun around wildly, asking, what the fuck is up with you? He didn't answer. I pushed him. As I swung on him, he used his strong body to restrain me. Stuck in his grip, I cursed him. Get the car ready, nigga. I'm going to the hospital. Instead of slapping the shit out of me, he hugged me even tighter. Feeling his warm body close against mine, my resistance dropped and I found myself crying into his shoulder. Over his shoulder, I saw two of my little sisters staring up at us. What's up with you two? The eight-year-old asked. Midnight turned my body and face away from the girls and whispered in my ear. It's all right, Shorty. I knew you were going to break down sooner or later. But you got to hold it together or your sister's going to start bugging too. When I saw my own tears fall onto my hands, I got mad at myself for crying. It wasn't like me. But I liked the feeling of being uptight on midnight. I liked the way he was holding me. I even liked the way he was treating me right at this moment. So I pushed it. I took a genuine situation that was going to make it work for me, cry some more, get even closer for a little longer. But then three of my sisters tried to muscle their way into my act. One by one, they started crying too. Midnight released my body, looked around the room at the four weeping willows and got a look on his face that indicated he couldn't stand the pressure. He put his hand in his pocket and pulled out a stack of cash. All right, whoever showers and gets dressed first gets $50. Their tears turned to excitement as they shot into the bathroom to box each other out for the dough. The money was like smelling salts. It revived everything. Midnight turned towards me. Yo, shorty tough. Two more days, that's it. Then you'll be back home. Try and stay cool, you know? I couldn't answer. I was straight in love with this nigga. I was replaying my new nickname, Shorty Tough. Trying to break the spell, Midnight waved a stack of cash back and forth in front of my eyes. Yo, you must be an imposter. Where's Winter? Nobody has to ask her twice to go shopping, he said, flashing a rare smile. I laughed, grabbed my jacket and said in a sexy way, I'm ready. At the mall, the war of wheels kicked in. I had one side of the hanger with a mini skirt I wanted to purchase, while Midnight's tight grip held the other side. My sisters ran in and out of the aisles under the clothes racks while me and Midnight argued. With one hand on my hip, 
I clenched my teeth and spit. I've worn skirts like this before. It's my choice. Don't act like you've never seen me rock a mini before. How and why did Midnight think he could tell me what I can and couldn't wear? Now I'm saying, maybe if he was giving me some dick, making me feel good and relaxed, I might have considered his ideas. You check this out, Shorty. I'm responsible for you right now. Whatever you did before is your business. For these two days, you're going to wear something decent. Come on, put this shit back. He grabbed my hand and led me out of the boutique while my sisters traveled close behind. His touching my hand shot a sensation between my legs and through my body. Now I wanted that mini skirt. I had others like it, but him grabbing me in the rough style made me want him even more. It seemed now that he cared. I was breaking through his ice cold ways and it was worth temporarily losing control. He led me upstairs in the Bloomingdale's. Now wait here. He moved around the clothes racks with the rhythm of a leopard on a hunt. He held up an Eileen Fisher pantsuit. All right, this is banging. This is something I'll pick for my sister to wear. Let's go get some shoes, he said. Now the pantsuit was fly, I'll admit. The material was high quality and all that good shit. But Midnight's comment had reduced me to the level of his sister. Is this something you'd want Taja to wear? Who? Taja. Taja, your girl. Because I don't give a fuck what you would want your sister to wear. I want to know what you would want your girl Taja to wear. Taja's not my girl, he denied. I rolled my eyes. That's not what I heard. Fuck what you heard. You and them silly bitches you be with. They don't know me. They just a bunch of chickens. A bunch of chickens who ain't got shit to do except run their mouths. I placed both my hands on my hips. So are you saying you weren't fucking Taja? Is that what you want me to do to you? He asked. Fuck you and then talk about it with some other hoe? I weighed his words, thinking, is this like some kind of trick question or something? Yes, I did want him to fuck me. Hadn't I made that clear? No, I didn't want him to talk about me with some other hoe. I wanted for myself. Was he calling me a hoe? Fuck it. Wear what you want to wear, he said, frustrated. I got all the things he liked for me. We picked up some clothes for the kids. We ended up in FAO Schwartz Toy Store. Midnight wanted to find me some games for these girls to play with to minimize their missing mommy and daddy. And most of all, to stop them from asking too many questions. The more fun they had, he figured, the less questions they would ask. When we were finished, we had so much shit, we looked like a late Christmas. We had so much fun, we had forgotten about lunch and had worked up quite an appetite for dinner. It was clear to me that Midnight was in control for now, so I didn't even ask where we were going to try and give directions. I just sat back and waited for him to take us to the spot of his choice. We went to the North American Lobster Company somewhere in Jersey City. I felt nothing but delight. The tables were big and round. Each one had a beautiful candle centerpiece with sexual flicking flames. The male customers wear white shirts and ties, placing their business jackets carefully on the back of their chairs. The women quietly talked to their mates 
their face is soft and expressive. 100% class. There was no doubt that midnight was as smooth as Santiago. He was made just for me. He lifted Mercedes and Lexi into their chairs and pulled the chair out for Portia. Do you have any kids, Midnight? Silence. Answer the question, I insisted. You ever see me with a kid? He asked, now aggravated. That's not the point. A lot of niggas got kids everywhere, but you never see them. Yeah, well, I'm not a lot of niggas. If I had a kid, everybody would know. I felt easy again. How old are you anyway? I asked, already knowing the answer. You starting to sound like the police. Not hardly, I said, smiling real sexy like. I'm 22. Without missing a beat and without being asked, I responded. I'm 18 in three weeks. He looked at me serious like. Lying sure comes easy to you. You don't have to take a breath, blink, twitch, nothing. The lies just roll straight off your tongue. How old do you think I am? I asked Midnight. Portia jumped in. She's 16. She'll be 17 in January. I pinched her leg under the table. Back in the hotel room, we played Go Fish, Pity Pat, I Declare War, Old Maid, Candyland, Trouble, and Sorry before the three little ones passed out. Everything was less intense than yesterday evening, and for me, this meant an opportunity. Before I could organize my approach, however, Midnight grabbed the remote and clicked on CNN News. I got up and stood in front of the television. He had entertained the kids. It was time for him to entertain me. He got an instant look of disgust on his face. Why don't you go do something with yourself? Asked Midnight, annoyed. I glanced up towards the mirror to check my appearance. I look good to me. So I asked, something like what? I don't know. What do you do? What are you into? My mind drew a blank. So what's up, Shorty? What's the answer? I smiled, liking the fact that he was playing with me. The answer to what? I asked. He shook his head as though I was frustrating him or something. What? Is there something you want to hear? Something I'm supposed to say? What? I asked you a question. What do you went to? What do you like to do? My mind started clicking. I like to enjoy myself, I said with much attitude. What do you know about that, midnight? I like to feel good, relax, get high, fuck, dance, shake my ass, and shop. I like to be turned on, and I love to turn another motherfucker on. What do you read? He asked. What's the name of the last book you read? I like movies. I like chilling with my girls. Matter of fact, if I wasn't stuck here with you, I'd have plenty of good shit to get into. What you gonna be when you grow up, Winter? Whatever. Maybe I'll get a job like yours, I said, cutting back at him and letting him know me and him were the same kind of people. I got plans, he said, going back into himself. Midnight went over to his leather bag, unzipped it, and said, Here, pick out a book or a tape. 
Do something with yourself. Just stay out of my way. The Art of War, The Wretched of the Earth, and The Judas Factor were a few of the books Midnight had in his case. They didn't look interesting to me, and I wasn't going to read some shit I didn't like just to get his attention. I went for the tapes. He had Charday, I'll be sure, Stephanie Mills, In Vogue, and Blackstreet. Mainly the old cool out shit. I snatched up his Walkman. The wire for the headphones was twisted in between Midnight's wallet flap. When I pulled the Walkman wire, the wallet flipped open. With my back to him, I went through his stuff. He had a picture of a dark-skinned older woman. She looked about 30-something. She had dark eyes and was wearing a scarf. The next picture was a picture of a girl. She seemed about 14 years old with a cute little face and big, innocent eyes. I figured it must be his sister. She seemed way too young to be his girlfriend. She was dark just like him. Also inside the wallet was a piece of paper folded twice over. It was old and worn. I opened it carefully, trying not to make noise. It was a flyer advertising the Sister Soldier speaking event. Covering most of the page was a picture of her. The voice from the radio and the face on the picture didn't match. I had pictured her to look like a man, rough hands and veins popping out of her neck. In the picture, she looked normal, young, with a decent face. She looked like a regular uptown Harlem girl. You know, in the picture, she had her mouth wide open. On the bottom of the page was an event address, Brooklyn Friendship Baptist Church on Herkimer Street. I quickly folded it up and slid it back into the wallet. I laid the wallet back into its overnight bag and went back into my room, closing the connecting door. Taking one of the pillows from the bed, I set up the corner chair for myself once again. I turned on an old Albie Sure jam and drifted off to... I can't say that I remember my entire dream from that night. But I do remember a vision of me at Midnight's Children. There were three of them. The oldest was a nappy-headed, rugged-looking boy. My son. Rough, the way I like him. The girls had good hair like me, and they were the color of hot caramel with diamond earrings. All of them were styling me complimentary colors. Helipel jumpers with some kick so fly they ain't even been invented yet. When I pushed the door open the next morning, Midnight was stretched out on the floor doing push-ups in his undershirt and undershorts. He was breathing and sweating. My eyes raced across his body. I'll drive you home at about 10 o'clock tonight, he said. Inhale, exhale. Everything's straight. Santiago will be there. We just need to find something to do with the girls today. You know, to keep their attention. At the count of 150, he dropped and rolled over on his back. He crawled up his fist in his undershirt, exposing the solid six-pack in his stomach. What you think we can get the shorties into today? He asked. I didn't respond. Winter, what's up? You in there? I smiled. He looked into my eyes and said, you always looking for trouble. Some shit you can't handle. Midnight delivered us home at 10 p.m. sharp. My handsome father was standing in the doorway waiting. His white linen suit gleamed in the light from the moon. His big hands rested in his pockets. He embraced Midnight as if he were family. 
He held my younger sisters in his arms one by one and gave me the warmest, securest hug back to my safe home. The house was extra clean. The music, an old Earth, Wind and Fire album, played softly in the background. Santiago took Midnight into the den. Midnight came out a short while later, offering a general good night without so much as a glance in my direction. Santiago sent my sisters off to bed with the idea that mommy was away, as if on a trip, and would be home next weekend with candy and presents forever. Daddy followed me to my bedroom. I knew to be quiet. Santiago looked more peaceful than he did on the day of the shooting incident. I switched on the lamp on my vanity table and an added light revealed a strange scar on the right side of my father's head. There was a maroon colored dent hidden close to the right side of his hairline. The scar just made him more masculine than ever, just tough, sexy, and unstoppable. All right, daddy, just fill me in. Whatever you need me to do, I'm down for you. Just let me know the plan. He smiled. How's mommy? I asked. Your mother's okay. She's a soldier. She'll be home by the end of the week. Now she'll have bandages and she'll have to take it easy for a while, but we'll all make it easier for her. You know how conceited she is, he added half joking. So don't act like anything's wrong with her face. She'll have to have some sort of treatment after a couple weeks. I got something to make her forget the whole thing. He signaled me to follow him. He led me down the hallway to the back window. Take a look. My mouth dropped open when I saw the big red set S600 V12 Mercedes Benz with a thick red bow and ribbons everywhere. Oh shit, I mumbled. My mind started working up a new wardrobe. If you're gonna sport a ride like this, you gotta be dressed to kill. Me and mommy will have to go shopping immediately. Santiago was still talking, but I couldn't hear him anymore. I kept seeing the expression on Natalie and Simone's faces when I came into Brooklyn pushing not a 190 baby Benz, not a 280, but a S600 V12. Would my mother let me drive it? Or would she only think of herself? Would she make me wait until Santiago bought me a car? Or would she kick it with me like sisters would? Wait a minute. She was sick. Maybe she'd need me to drive her around and do errands for her. Maybe she'd be a passenger for about a year or so. Okay, I thought. Maybe she'd let me drive her around, but she wouldn't let me chill in the car with Natalie in it. It'll defeat the purpose of having a red Benz if you couldn't flash it for your girls. Ride around flexing. You know how many niggas will be on my bra strap after they saw me behind the wheel? Mad niggas. I'd be making them beg me, do shit they wouldn't ordinarily do. Kiss my ass and suck my toes. I started cracking up. Santiago looked at me like I was bugging. I straightened my face. Now I've known a lot of cats who've been shot before. Shot all over the body, the leg, the chest, the stomach, but every dude I know been shot in the head ain't never been the same no more. That's the shit that worries me. That's the shit that makes me want to kick my own ass for letting this happen. Winter, where's your head at? I'm talking to you. If me and you were on point, everything else would fall into place. Here's what I need from you. Stay out of Brooklyn until I tell you it's okay. What? I said. Now listen to you, he said. 
10 minutes ago, you were saying, just tell me the plan. I'm down for you, Santiago. Now you're ready to betray me. No, Santiago, never betrayal. Betrayals for suckers. That's what you taught me. I'll do what you want. I'll start of Brooklyn until you tell me otherwise. And less talking is better. A whole lot less talking. You know how we do. The less you know, the better off we all are. And don't get too comfortable just because we out here in the suburbs. Play your hand close to your chest like you're still in the ghetto. Trust no one and answer no questions. Don't give anybody our phone number who doesn't already have it. Now don't get paranoid. Just don't get sloppy. A long pause fell. I broke the silence. You know, when Midnight called the night of the incident and said he was coming to get us, I didn't know whether I should have beeped you to confirm what was going on or just go along with what he was telling me to do. I figured everything was cool because he had always been. It's good that you thought twice about it, Santiago said. But Midnight's clean. He's loyal as a blood-borne son. I never had a problem out of him. I couldn't have left him with my girls if I didn't think I could trust him with my money and my life. Why? Everything went okay, didn't it? No, it went fine. He was a real gentleman, I stated firmly, so as not to cause no problem between the two men I love. Where'd you meet Midnight? He was just a kid who had a brush with the law. You know how they do. Don't want to give the kid a second chance. They forced a man into a position where he can't survive, can't make no money. When I first saw him, I knew he'd be a good worker. He just had it in his eyes. Plus, he didn't have no family. A cat like that is going to be loyal. He need to be able to take care of himself. What happened to his family? I haven't seen you this interested in nothing. What's all the questions about? You know, Daddy, I'm growing up. Look at me. I'll be 17 soon. Santiago watched me spin from left to right. Yeah, you are growing up. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. He put his head down into his hand as though this topic was too heavy for him. What about it? I asked. Do you know what I want for you? I want you to settle down. Meet a nice guy. One of those budding doctors or lawyers or engineers. You talking crazy, daddy. No, seriously, Winter. My life from the outside is all good, but believe me, whether it's actually all good or bad, right or wrong, there's no letting up. No time to relax and just enjoy life. It's right when you think you've made enough big moves so now you can take that deep breath. That's when the next guy gets you. He'll figure he caught you sleeping. He'll call you a tired old fool and move on you. Nobody wants to be all the time with one eye looking over your shoulder and one eye at the door. You, Winter, you deserve better. You deserve to relax, kick back, have the easy and finer things in life. No stress. One of these big-headed doctors, lawyers, engineer boys around this neighborhood can give you that. A man in Midnight's line of work can't. How many times he had to spell it out? Like, seriously, Midnight told her in as many ways as possible that he was not interested in her at all. And she didn't hear a word of it. She ran up on him naked. He wasn't having it. 
she tried to flirt with him in every turn. He wasn't having it. And then finally he got annoyed and was just like, yo, he told her straight out and, and in so many different ways that we are not the same. We are not alike. What books do you read? <laughs> what do you do? Smoke, dance, shake my ass, party. Everything she said just spoke out like she was a little kid that thought that she was grown. And it's strange hearing it. Like, he's 22 and she's 16. Which means when she was 13, he was 19. Which means that when she was trying to pull her shorts up and all that kind of stuff to look cute when she saw him at the basketball court, he was 19 years old. She's been a kid. It's not like there's any closeness in their lives. It's not like there's any moment where this age gap wasn't an age gap. She's always been a little kid to him. And she just doesn't get it. She does not. Midnight is a good dude. The way that it's being written, it sounds like he's in a position where he had to do what he had to do to take care of his family, but he would take care of his family. She was like, do you have any kids? And he was like, if I had kids, you'd know. I'm not one of these leave your nigga or leave your kids with baby mama while I run the street. You would know. That's a real dude. All she care about is money. Even when they talking about her mother, she thinking about how it's gonna benefit her with the bends at the end. And um, also when he's talking about, I wanna see my mother, I wanna see my father. She starts crying and thinking, you know, when she starts crying and he starts consoling her, she's like, I could take advantage of this and get closer to a guy who obviously doesn't want me. And I don't understand why her two, why her three sisters are also obsessed with money. But like I said, the, the apple don't fall far from the tree. They see their mom interested in money. That's all their mom talks about is how much money she's gonna get, what gifts she's gonna get, what she's expecting out of her father. There's no growth, there's no maturity. Her mom was an immature girl who met, uh, sounds like a, a another predator, who was a drug dealer. And so from the age of 14 on out, she wanted for nothing. And so now these kids see that and they don't want nothing but money. And he's right. Like, he ain't never said that he was dating Taja. Natalie said that. There's no confirmation. There's no nothing like that. And he told her straight out, like, you and them silly bitches you've been with, they don't know me. And she's just like, I, I want him to fuck me. I just want you to notice me. I want you to fuck me. I want to change your mind. I want to make you mine. But that's not what this whole, what this party is. What it's going to be. What do you like to do? What are you into? I like to enjoy myself. I like to feel good, relax, get high, fuck, dance, shake my ass and shop. Well, what do you read? What's the name of the last book you read? Well, I like movies. 
what's the last book you read? Why is it that every time I turn on the news, you start talking? Like, we are not the same people. When are you gonna, what, what are you gonna be when you grow up? Literally, grow the fuck up. What are you gonna be? He's pulling out the art of war, the wretched of the earth, and the Judas factor. He's 22, you're 16, y'all are not on the same page. The music he's got is Charday, I'll be sure, Stephanie Mills, In Vogue, and Blackstreet. I mean, I definitely would have went with some um, Natalie Cole in there, or, you know, Regina Bell. Regina Bell always goes. That baby come to me is still the joint. But he ain't got nothing you want to hear. He lists the R&B and Sister Soldier, and it sounds like he don't even listen to Sister Soldier rap. He listens to her talk. Y'all are not on the same page. And yet, while he's telling you all this, you're still fading out, envisioning what you're going to be when you get married and have his children. I like my kid. I want my kids to be a thug. Who the fuck wants their kid to be a thug? That is such a little kid thing to say. I want my son to be rough like me. Rough the way I like him. Rugged little boy. Like, nigga, what? That is such a little kid thing to say. Her dad takes her and she's saying, all right, daddy, fill me in. Whatever you needed me to do, I'm down for you. Just let me know the plan. And he shows her the Mercedes Benz and he's still talking to her and she's just fading him out because she's just imagining going with her friends in this big red bend. You ain't ready for this. You can't take over the business. And your dad is smart enough to see that you should not be in this life. So he's like, you need to calm down so then you can get what a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, somebody other than what I do or what Midnight does because we are not the way for you. But she ain't hearing it. She hears what she wants to hear through this entire book because it's talking to a 16-year-old girl. Do you know what it was like talking to my daughter when she was 16? When my eldest daughter was 16, she swore Nicki Minaj was a better performer than fucking Aretha Franklin. And she would argue tooth and nail that to her, Nicki Minaj was the best performer that had ever been. There's no arguing, there's no reasoning with the kid when they have kid logic. Winter has kid logic. And she's using kid logic against adults playing an adult game. Her mom got shot in the face. You know what? They don't even say what her mom's fucking name is in this book so far. Her mom's name is I Want Money. To make up for her mom getting shot in the face, her dad bought her a car. Her dad don't want her in this life. And she wouldn't survive in this life. So again, y'all can leave a review at ratemypodcast.com backslash RBC. Um, you can leave a voicemail at 916-633-1537. I want to know what y'all think about this latest chapter. Um, you can leave an email at wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I'm Derek. I'm really enjoying this book just as much as I did when I last read it, but I'm enjoying it from a different angle this time. And that is crazy.
but it's going to take a while. This book's going to take a lot longer to read, obviously, than Old Thought Next Door, because this book, this chapter right here was like the whole show within itself. And it's looking like the next one will be as well. Uh, let's see how many chapters are in this book. There's 20 chapters in this book. Right now, the next chapter is going to be chapter five. So I'll holler at y'all tomorrow. It's been an absolute pleasure doing this show, and I hope y'all enjoy it. Um, let me know what you think. We are on Twitter at Ratchet Book Club. Um, holler at me. I'll holler back. But y'all be good. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Let your friends know about it. Um, share us on all the social media and whatnot. But, yeah, y'all be good. I'm out. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this feat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my dad,